From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And our topic today, where church meets state, and I'm privileged to have as my guest joining me from Lexington, South Carolina by telephone, Attorney Daniel Blomberg of the Beckett Foundation. Mr. Blomberg, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, sir. I'm happy to be here with you. And uh, so let's cut right to the chase here. There have been a lot of uh, cases uh, in uh, recent years where uh, the uh, free exercise clause has uh, run into uh, resistance within the military. Uh, we had the uh, controversy out at the Air Force Academy back in 2013 when uh, the Air Force uh, made the so help me God phrase uh, in the honor code oath optional. Uh, and then uh, the uh, uh, Army uh, it, uh, several years ago uh, had uh, uh, issued a gag order on uh, Archbishop Brolio's uh, uh, letter to uh, the faithful in the military. Uh, this concerned uh, uh, the requirement in uh, the Affordable Care Act that uh, health care providers uh, make uh, abortions and other uh, similar services available to everyone. Uh, of course, that was resolved. Uh, and then um, uh, during the pandemic, we had out in uh, San Diego uh, another uh, temporary situation where the Navy decided to cancel contracts of Catholic priests serving Navy bases out there. So, uh, Mr. Blomberg, uh, what's going on in the military? Is there uh, an organized uh, assault on religious freedom? No, there isn't, and that's good. Um, one of the great things about the military it is that it is a a part of our society that has done a fantastic job for many, many years of leading the way when it comes to accommodating religious liberty and protecting the rights of service members and their families to worship according to the dictates of their faith and to, to practice their faith in their daily lives. So no institution is perfect, and you just identified several times when correction was necessary, um, particularly those last two. Those were those were situations that were wrong and were quickly righted, and um, and so. But there's you know one of the things that's really remarkable about the military is actually the institution you work for, right? The Archdiocese of Military Services has this really remarkable and special role of certifying Catholic priests to serve as chaplains in the U.S. military, and the reason why that is is because the military has the proper humility to understand that they don't know who the right minister is for a Catholic service member, right? They can't go and say, oh, you know what? I've got the right person for the job. The right person for the job is, you know, Joe Snuffleupagus over here. No, they don't know that because they're a government institution. They have no idea what a Catholic soldier needs. But the one who does is the Archdiocese for Military Services. And so they certify and support and continue to guide the, the priests that provide the religious ministry that's necessary for our service members. And, uh, and that's a tradition that we've had for many years. It's a way that we do things, you know, whether we're talking about Catholics or Baptists or Presbyterians or Hindus, any number of different faith groups, we respect the right of the faith group to select their own religious leaders and to put them into uh, military service. That is a remarkable thing. It's one of the highest and best of our tradition. And it's reflective of the way that since the founding of our country, um, our military has respected the rights of service members. Actually, you know, General George Washington, 
when he was starting the Continental Army, leading the Continental Army, he said, "I'm not just sending. I'm not sending my service members out with the established churches uh, chaplains. You know, they can they can the, the Anglican chaplains can go, and that's good. We want them out there. But I've got service members who are Baptists, and I've got service members who are for Jewish. Even in our small you know small fledgling country, we had a lot of religious diversity. And uh, George Washington, his great credit." Said when I'm sending men into harm's way, I'm going to send them with the service with the uh, the priest or pastor or rabbi who can actually meet their religious needs. That's fantastic. It's consistent with our identity as a nation, and it has really led the way for us understanding religious tolerance and accommodation since the founding of our country. And you know, I think uh, the so-called other side rec- recognizes this. I was at a. Uh, a conference of the Religious News Association a couple of years ago, and they had a panel discussion where uh, attorneys uh, uh, championing the cause of separation of church and state were fielding questions. And I asked them about the chaplaincy and was it their goal to get rid of the chaplaincy in the military. And I was pleasantly surprised they said no. Uh, They acknowledged that the chaplaincy actually preexists the Constitution. Uh, that right. it goes back to the Continental Army, as you pointed out, uh, George Washington. So uh, there does not seem to be a, a move afoot, uh, at least among some of these uh, um, organizations committed to separation of uh, church and state, uh, to uh, stamp out the chaplaincy. If anything, that you know, there's efforts afoot to to expand the chaplaincy to you know bring in members of um, what Wicca and atheists and whatnot. Um, you, uh, Mr. Blomberg, uh, and I'm talking to Attorney Daniel Blomberg of the Beckett Fund, uh, you, you have some personal uh, background with the military. Tell me a little bit about that, your family connections. Oh, yeah. My family's, my family's an Army family. My grandfather served. My uh, father-in-law served. My father served. My brothers served um, honorably and well in a variety of different theaters and situations across the world. Uncles and aunts and cousins um, have served in, you know, Army, Marines, Navy. We even we even allow you know some of the uncles that served in the Air Force to come to family gatherings. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Next thing I know, you're going to start calling it the Chair Force, and we're not going there. <laughs> You said it, not me. uh, Anyhow, uh, well, uh, a little bit of background about the Beckett Fund. Tell me more about that. Yes, the Beckett Fund is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that protects religious liberty for all, for everybody from all backgrounds. And this is one of the reasons, honestly, why I personally am passionate about working on military cases and on uh, military chaplaincy matters, because in a lot of ways, Beckett tries to do what the chaplaincy has been doing for hundreds of years, because the chaplaincy is is that it exists as an authentic representation of a specific faith group. A Catholic chaplain is a Catholic priest, and his job is to represent the Catholic faith in the context of the military and to provide for and perform the religious needs of his Catholic uh, serv- fellow service members. That's an incredibly important job. At the same time, though, and this is what's so remarkable and amazing, part of his professional job is to treat other faiths with respect and to accommodate and protect their ability to practice their faith. 
So he is never going to do something, that Catholic chaplain will never do something that compromises his Catholic convictions. If he did, he would no longer be an authentic representation of the faith. However, he is going to pro, uh, perform or provide for the needs of the uh, the soldiers and service members under his care to make sure that even if it's a Baptist or even if it's a Jewish soldier, or even if it's a Muslim soldier, he's going to make sure that they get what they need to take care of their religious uh, their religious needs. Even if and he may not be able to perform it himself, obviously a Catholic priest can't go perform a you know Muslim service, you know Muslim worship service or something like that, but. He can make sure that his Muslim service members get the resources they need to receive that religious support. And so that commitment to authentic religious faith and respectful religious engagement, that's what Beckett's about. That's our job. And so we represent people of all faith backgrounds and all different contexts. Beckett itself is a non-denominational, non-profit organization, correct? That's right. That's right. We're not, we're not a religious group. We're a law firm. Uh, and we're not partisan. You know, we represent people from all different sides of the, the various political aisles that are out there because God isn't partisan. Religious liberty isn't partisan. It's actually crucial to the health of religious liberty that we make sure that we are treating and respecting the rights of all people from all faiths um, and ensuring that, you know, they're, you know, essentially this is, this is one of those rising tides that lift all boats, right? When you are protecting religious liberty or uh, a, a Jewish service member, then you're also protecting it for a Catholic service member and for a Protestant service member and for a Muslim service member. And if you're, if any of those service members, if my six service members who aren't able to wear their turbans and beards are being forced out on, on the basis of their faith, well, then all of our faith is being diminished for that reason. The chaplaincy is not about trying to be everything to everyone. You are an authentic representation of your faith, and there's going to be disagreement even strong disagreement on issues of faith. And that's good and healthy. The problem is when Uncle Sam comes in and says, everyone's going to believe this way or they're out. And that is dangerous for everybody. And so this is, that's what Beckett does. Beckett represents everyone who is finding their faith trampled unnecessarily by the government. I see. Well, it's um, seemingly increasingly difficult for a Catholic priest to teach Catholic doctrine uh, in the the military with a growing sense of secularization. I have in front of me right here a, uh, an interim uh, policy uh, statement from the Navy that came out just a few days ago talking about uh, transgender, um, you know, involvement in the military, and I'll just quote a few of the things said here, and I'd just kind of like to uh, get your feeling about whether or not this is oppressive uh, policy, or, or is it just live and let live, okay? Uh, but uh, uh, one of the things in this policy statement is that all transgender persons who wish to serve in the United States Navy and can meet the appropriate standards shall be able to do so openly and free from discrimination. No person solely on the basis of gender identity will be denied accession, involuntarily separated or discharged, denied reenlistment or continuation of service, or subjected to adverse action or mistreatment. Uh, service members with a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, for which a military medical provider has determined that gender transition is medically necessary, will receive associated medical care and a treatment and treatment, and of course, it goes on to, to talk about much more. Uh, these this policy obviously is not uh, consistent with Catholic teaching, uh, but 
is it an assault on an individual's right to exercise his or her Catholic faith in the military? So without having looked at all the particulars of the policy, I, I couldn't tell you if there are religious liberty issues and they're lurking or not. The problem comes, right, Uncle Sam can do lots of things that we disagree with, and he does on a regular basis. There's, there's no question about that. The problem comes in when Uncle Sam tries to not only say, this is how I'm going to do it, but he tries to turn around and say, this is how you, soldier, are going to believe, how you're going to speak, how you're going to worship. And that's where military religious liberty problems come up, right? When the government is trying to force someone to violate their faith. And we've seen this happen time and time again over the course of our history. Again, we've got good roots. We've got good foundations. There's a lot to like about the, the way the military has pursued religious liberty. But nobody's faultless, and the military is among that group of nobody. You know, we had the, um, we had the case back in the late 90s on behalf of uh, Father Rigdon and uh, several other um, military chaplains who were being told that they couldn't speak uh, during religious worship services about what their faith groups taught on, I believe the issue there was partial birth abortion. And the government was, was saying, hey, your commander-in-chief thinks one thing about partial birth abortion, and you're not allowed to go speak during a worship service and say the other thing. And we took that case to court because there is no way under the First Amendment or under federal law, that the government can tell uh, religious leaders what they're going to say to the religious flock during a worship service. That is a massive Establishment Clause problem. It's a massive free exercise problem. And it's a massive violation of a really important federal law known as the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, Mm -hmm. uh, which is particularly valuable in the military context because it provides really robust protections for our service members and their families. So it's a, all three of those laws, you know, First Amendment uh, protections for uh, free exercise and from the establishment of religion, and then also this RIFRA law, a Religious Freedom Restoration Act, all came together and said, listen, government, you're welcome to have your own opinion on what you think about partial birth abortion, but you can't tell Father Rigdon what he's going to preach in a Catholic Mass, period, return, end of story. That was, that's a, a winning case that has been uh, long-standing guidance for how the military operates. Well, a much belated congratulations on that win. Of course, we're uh, still uh, experiencing the, uh, the impact of it. And it's a good thing that we've seen the courts uh, recognize uh, the right to freedom of uh, religion here just recently up in Philadelphia with the Supreme Court uh, uh, ruling that the Catholic social services there could not be uh, required to... Uh, uh, you know, place uh, foster children in, in the care of same-sex couples. Uh, I, but a huge wh- win, a uh, huge win. That was that was absolutely massive. Not just a win, but nine to zero. Every single justice on the U.S. Supreme Court agreed that what the city of Philadelphia was doing to Catholic Social Services' two hundred-year-old ministry to foster kids was unconstitutional. Absolutely a massive win for religious liberty. Remarkable. Uh, very seldom nowadays you uh, see a, a unanimous ruling from the Supreme Court on a controversial case. What I hear you saying is, uh, for example, this, uh, this policy, this interim policy announced by the Navy uh, uh, defending the uh, uh, transgender membership in the Navy, uh, it doesn't go, we would not consider this an assault on religious 
freedom based on just the excerpts that I've read, uh, right? Is that was that what I hear you saying? Yeah, just don't. I mean, the very, very little that I've listened to what you're saying there. You know, there's there's not an obvious religious liberty problem. There there will be problems, right? There's no question about it. In every different administration, in every different you know form, time the government gets involved in stuff, it, it manages to muck things up. It's one of those things that the 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 price of liberty is eternal vigilance. This is not something that we get to rest on our laurels at at any time, and um, and that's certainly true here. There's going to have to be and to keep a close watch because issues of sexuality necessarily implicate some of the deepest and most important parts of who we are and what we believe. And if the government tries to start forcing people to take one view or another on it, that's going to raise significant religious liberty issues. So hopefully that won't happen. But if it does, Beckett's here and keeping a very close eye on it. I'm talking to Mr. Daniel Blomberg, Senior Counsel at uh, the uh, Beckett Fund. Uh, Before joining Beckett, uh, Mr. Blomberg, you clerked for uh, Chief Judge Alice Batchelder of the uh, U.S. uh, Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, and you have served as litigation counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom. How did you get interested in uh, First Amendment religious freedom issues? You know, this is why I went to law school. Uh, I, I knew that just personally speaking, I, I felt that the calling on my life was to serve God and serve other people. And I thought actually that was going to be in doing psychological counseling. That was my plan going through undergrad. And uh, after prayer and reflection, realized that wasn't the, uh, the path. And it was actually legal counseling. That was <laughs> the path that I was being called toward. And uh, man, I tell you what, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I can't think of a uh, a better place to work in the world than the Beckett Fund, where we get to come alongside a group of happy warriors who are uh, defending the faith for people of all different faiths, and, um, you know, who are principled, hardworking, focused on uh, engaging in the issues and winning at the very, very highest levels, as, as we were very blessed to do in the Fulton case last week. So um, it's been a, a privilege and a pleasure. Where do you get your funding? Is it all donations? So there's two ways that we get our funding. The The vast majority of it is donations. We're a nonprofit organization. We don't charge our clients anything. So when we represented the Little Sisters of the Poor to the U.S. Supreme Court the first time and the second time and the third time, <laughs> we never charged a dime. And... Um, and, and that's true for all of our clients. We represented the Archdiocese of Los Angeles in the Our Lady of Guadalupe case, the U.S. Supreme Court last year. Um, we represented Hobby Lobby, and we've represented um, uh, a Muslim prisoner and a variety of different folks from different religious backgrounds, the U.S. Supreme Court, and in cases across the country. And we, we just don't charge our clients anything. You know, oftentimes there are, there are ministries that are fairly strapped for cash, and so we're there to represent their interests and protect their rights and by protecting them, protect others. Um, and so, do, you know, like-minded donors have come in and provided support so that we can continue doing the work we do. And that is the vast majority. That's the backbone of just kind of the operational component of what we do. My, da- my dad for a while was a quartermaster in the Army, and I didn't realize this, but he said, for every soldier you've got on the front line pointing a gun, You've got six to ten to twelve behind him that are providing up the supply chain necessary so that he can be effective, so that he can have his uniform, so he can have his ammunition, 
so he can have his food, so that he can get to where he needs to be, all of those things. And that's totally what the case is in, you know, for the mil, uh, for, for Beckett. You know, we have a supply chain that comes from like-minded donors that enable us to do things like win on behalf of uh, Catholic Social Services in that very, very important Fulton case. And the listener who would like to donate, how can uh, that listener give? They go to BeckettLaw.org. Beckett is spelled B-E-C-K-E-T, and there's just the word law.org. And there'll be information right at the top of the page about how they can support the mission. So looking ahead, Attorney Daniel Blomberg with the Beckett Fund, what do you see some of the issues that might be coming around the corner insofar as religious liberty is concerned in the military? So we've got we've actually got active litigation right now uh, where we're suing the Navy because it is unnecessarily refusing to accommodate service members from Muslim and Sikh backgrounds who and in Jewish backgrounds who wear a beard and uh, as a religious matter and the Navy has managed to accommodate uh, beards for morale purposes managed to accommodate beards for medical purposes but it's refusing to accommodate beards for religious purposes. That's unconstitutional. It's a violation of RIFRA. It's a major, important series of cases that are being resolved right now. And one of the things that I love about these cases is the service members here all love their country. You know, these are sailors that want to be serving on the front lines. They want to be uh, supporting the mission. And if there ever came a situation where it was, I'm going to have to shave my beard because otherwise, you know, somebody's going to die, right? The mission won't get accomplished. Well, they're going to shave the beard. Every single one of them is committed to protecting the lives of the sailors around them and accomplishing the mission. But when it's not the case, in 99.99% of the time, it's not the case, they want to obey their God. And, you know, one of the, one of the inspirations for me uh, on this issue is Rabbi Jacob Goldstein, who has served in the uh, U.S. Army chaplaincy for 38 years. He served in hot spots around the world, every major conflict. He was on the ground and serving the Jewish service members that were there. Um, and, um, and he had a beard the whole time. And never once did his wearing of a beard interfere with his mission accomplishment. To the contrary, actually, a lot of times, especially serving in places like Afghanistan, it improved his ability to be of support to the commander in interacting with, uh, with locals. So that's a really important series of cases that are going on. We're going to see issues like that come up, whether it's in the the beard context or in the context of new policies that are getting rolled out for the first time, where the government is being, it's just is not being sufficiently accommodating for religious liberty, right? And so the, the example you gave of the instruction that Archbishop Brolio received that he couldn't speak, um, to, couldn't issue instructions to his own flock on fundamental issues of religious liberty, I mean, that's our religious faith. That was just an obvious problem, an obviously wrong move by the military, and those kinds of issues are going to keep coming. Now, thankfully, we have the statute known as the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which I mentioned earlier. And I just want to, I mean, really, all of your listeners who care about military life, they should understand the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is the single strongest protection for their service members and their families in the, for, for, um, in the military today, just period. It's an extraordinarily important law. And what I love about it is it's so practical and so simple. It doesn't mean that whatever a religious person wants to do, they get to do, right? We all have jobs. We all have things that we want to do. 
Um, but all, the only time the Religious Freedom Restoration Act comes in is when they say, my God is telling me that I need to do this or not do this, right? I, my God's telling me that I can't engage in this certain sort of activity that you're telling me that I have to do. And that person then raises their hand. They say, listen, if you force me to do this, I'm going to be violating the fundamental aspects of my faith. Please don't make me do that. Well, then, then the government has, you know, the government can still say, well, it's actually really important. We just, we have to have you do it. Uh, but that's what they have to do. They don't get, the government, the, the military doesn't get to crush somebody's faith without showing that it's absolutely mission critical to do it. And there's no other way other than asking somebody to violate their faith to accomplish the mission. Right? And that's such an important balancing test because what it does is it creates a simple, straightforward, clear standard to say in our country, which values the freedom of religion, we're not going to force someone to crush their faith unless we absolutely, positively have to. And that's what the law is, and that's a fantastic standard for protecting religious liberty. And it just makes sense. Uh, We should not expect someone who uh, puts on the uniform to give up their religious faith. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, um, uh, uh, Attorney Daniel Blomberg, Senior Counsel for the Beckett Fund. Uh, for the servicemen out there, service woman uh, who is out there who has a religious liberty issue uh, that they feel might need to be litigated, what's your advice? Contact Beckett. Go to that Beckett website we were just talking about a second ago, BeckettLaw.org. There's a tab on there that says how you can contact us. Let us know about it. If we can't help you, we know good people who can. So if you're concerned about it and there's ways that we can help, please reach out. Be happy to look at it. And or direct you to somebody else to be able to. Beckett's a small organization. We're the tip of the spear. And, uh, and so we can't take every case that comes across our docket. But, um, but when we can't and we think it's something that does need to be resolved, we will try to help them find who they need to be. And there's a lot of other great organizations out there that are doing this kind of work that we'd be very happy to uh, direct them to. And again, that website is Beckett Law, one word, all lowercase, B-E-C-K-E-T-L-A-W. Org. Generally speaking, uh, I'm encouraged. Uh, you sound, uh, you know, hopeful, uh, certainly on top of it. Uh, uh, and uh, I don't hear any uh, uh, doom saying coming from you, which is which is encouraging. I, I take it that you believe that uh, religious freedom is alive and well and, and relatively healthy in the United States military. That's right. We, the, here's the reality. The reality is we are winning. We have been winning. And if we engage in this fight in a principled, correct way, principled, respectful way, I think we're going to continue winning. Right? There are fights to be had, right? You, you don't win. <laughs> you don't win if there's not a conflict. So there, is, there are conflicts. It's not easy. And sometimes these conflicts are painful for the people involved. They can hurt their careers. They can hurt their lives. But respectfully... And firmly standing up for your faith in the in the U.S. military has a track record of success, and we have a, and that's and that's something that we are we're committed to continuing to preserving and building out uh, through our work at Beckett. I've been talking to Daniel Blomberg, senior counsel for the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, a nonprofit, public interest, legal, and educational institute with a mission to protect the free expression of all faiths. And we've been talking about religious liberty 
uh, in the United States military. Mr. Blomberg, thank you so much for talking to me today. My pleasure, sir. Thank you for having me on. Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit millarch.org. The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve.